Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. So, aloha, Nick. Aloha, Simon. How are you doing? How's the ohana, the paddle ohana out there in the UK? Oh, it's uh, it's going very, very well. We've had uh, the hottest weekend of the year so far, and I was down on the beach yesterday uh, doing some finishing touches to our uh, new course, which is due to be uh, released soon. And the amount of paddle boards on the on the, the beach were absolutely incredible. And some people even had their leashes on, which is oh, obviously good news. Fabulous. That's, uh, that's good news. It's always nice to see a leash. I was down for paddle this morning at uh, 6 a.m. It was fantastic. Beautiful, crystal clear ocean waters. And ah, oh, stunning. Just surfing, paddle boarding in T-shirt and shorts. It was amazing. Obviously, with all the required safety kit, because um, we're all hyped about our safety course. But um, today, you interviewing... John McFadden, and he's been around the world in his sup, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, he, he's a great chap to chat to. He's, um, you know, making this incredible um, journey to paddle in all 193 countries of the world. And he's already progressed quite some way through that. He's uh, paddled 45 out of the 193 already. Um, so it's great to have a chat with him um we talk about his early journeys into stand-up paddle boarding and um you know he's not a an adrenaline athlete he's not going for the fastest time and uh, he quite readily admits he's uh, he welcomes flat water but uh, to, to paddle 45 countries it is quite amazing so i learned a huge amount from him excellent apparently he's a bit of a writer as well He's a bit of a writer. He's a bit of a speaker. He's a bit of an all-round entertainer. So, um, yeah, I challenge you not to be inspired by this fantastic chat with John McFadgen. On SUP FM, we do like to talk about people who are a bit unusual, uh, people who set themselves a challenge and really go for it. And by doing it, they push people's mindsets about what's what it's possible to achieve on a stand-up paddleboard and this week's guest is no exception because we've got a paddler who set himself the challenge of supping the world which is paddleboarding in all 193 countries across the globe and he's already made huge progress in getting there the man is john mcfadgen john welcome to sup fm Hi, Simon. It's great to have you on. And I'm really excited to talk about your amazing trip so far and obviously your plans for the future. But first, we'd like to start to find out a little bit about our guests. So I'm really curious to find out how long you've been stand up paddling and how did you first discover it? Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting question, Simon. I've been paddling for just over six years. I started in June 2014. And it really came about because of a, a remarkable coincidence. I live in, in Southport in the northwest of England, uh, and I have a third floor apartment that looks out over Southport Marine Lake. It's, you know, especially in the summertime, it's an idyllic place to live. You know, when I look over to the, the left hand side, I can see the mountains of North Wales. Uh, and when I look up to the right, on, on a good day, I can actually see the Lake District. And in front of the Lake District, you, you can see Blackpool with its famous roller coaster, the 
the big one, you know, so I'm mm-hmm. getting some, some fantastic views. And right in front of me is Southport Marine Lake. Uh, and so, something unusual happened one Saturday morning when I looked out. I could see three people out in the middle of the lake. And they were standing, each standing on some sort of large board. It looked like a large oversized surfboard. And they were propelling themselves across the water with a paddle. <laughs> and I, I, I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. I was amazed. And I was a bit shocked as well because I thought those people, they must be crazy. You know, if they fall off, they're going to get wet. And you, I don't know about you, but I didn't have a, a background in water sports at that time. So I couldn't understand why anyone would want to to do something where they might fall off and get wet. <laughs> so what was the next stage, John? How did you get onto the water? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 this was the remarkable coincidence, really, Simon. And if it hadn't been for this coincidence, I, I might not have been where I am today. But at the time, my two youngest daughters used to go to a, a dancing class on a Saturday morning at a place called the Fitness Factory in Southport. So mm-hmm. a couple of hours after I'd seen these people out in the lake, I took Jessica and Jasmine and my daughters to dancing. And, you know, they went into their class and I sat to wait for them. And I saw this sign up in the wall. And it was an advert and it had a photograph of someone standing on one of these strange surfboard contraptions holding a paddle. And the sign said, stand up paddle boarding. And I thought, wow, that's the same thing. And I, I said to Amy, the lady that owned the fitness factory at the time, I said, what is this stand-up paddleboarding thing? You know, I, I saw some people out on the lake this morning uh, and Amy said, oh, that will be my partner, Alan. He does lessons on the lake. You should <laughs> give it a try sometime, Amy said to me. Uh, and I said to her, it does look intriguing, Amy, but I've, I've not got a very good sense of balance. I'm worried I would fall off and get wet. And Amy just laughed and said, oh, everyone says that. Just give it a go. You'll be fine. And that was how I found myself, I think, seven or eight days later, I I was walking down the side of the marine lake. It was a beautiful Monday evening. You can probably picture the the summer's evenings that we're sometimes Mm. fortunate enough to have. You know, the the, the sky was bright blue. There was nothing else in the sky except a a boiling orange sun. And it was one of those evenings, even though it was seven o'clock in the evening, you can still, you know, you can still feel the the heat of Mm. the sun on yeah. your skin and I was on my way to, to, to meet a lady called Lucy who was going to give me my very first stand-up paddle boarding lesson and th- that was kind of where it all started from Simon. So um, to tell us about your first lesson did you did you was it like a duck to water or do you have a few wobbles how did that work out for you? Yeah it was, it was very interesting experience so there was myself and, and Lucy who was the instructor and another lady called Claire who was having her first lesson as well. And I, I was genuinely quite nervous. You know, I really didn't want to fall in because not only I didn't want to get wet, I didn't even know how cold the water was and mm. anything like that. But, you know, Lucy gave us a run through and we, we got on the water and I felt a little bit nervous. But then something quite crazy happened, even though it was a beautiful summer's evening. About 15, 20 minutes after we got onto the water, a huge black cloud appeared as if from nowhere uh, <laughs> and came over the top and it just started raining really really heavily it was absolutely incredible and one of my most prized possessions is a an old grainy photograph of of that first evening and you can see myself Lucy and Claire out on the lake 
and there are people walking past in the foreground, huddling underneath umbrellas. It was raining so hard, but the the best thing about that Simon is you know once had been totally drenched by this downpour and the the black cloud had moved on you know I'd, I wasn't worried about getting wet anymore because I was already wet so uh, I kind of banished that fear and I wouldn't say I took to it like a duck to water immediately but by the end of the by the end of the two hour session which I think went on to about three you know I was very relaxed on the board and it definitely was a case of love at first sight. You know, I fell in love with stand-up paddleboarding that very evening. Fantastic. And uh, your experience, very similar to mine. I've, I've told it on the pub before. It was um, horizontal rain and so on, but uh, something absolutely grabs you, doesn't it? It was um, it was incredible. So, so let, sort of moving on to um, Sup the World, when on earth did you come up with that idea <laughs> oh yeah i'm not too sure what the, the exact answer to that is uh, it, it, the whole concept i think's evolved gradually over the years but immediately after that 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 first time when i'd had that lesson on southport marine lake i i began to think about these sort of things because i i had already in my diary had a trip planned to australia for the following year or so, t- 2015, to attend the the wedding of a very close friend. And mm. I began to wonder, I wonder if you can do this sort of stand-up paddleboarding thing in Australia. I was a little bit naive back then. I didn't know if they had water sports in Australia. Obviously, I, I, I know differently now. And uh, <laughs> I stumbled across um, a, a company called Sydney Scenic Sup, who were doing stand-up paddleboard tours of Sydney Harbour. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my, my very first country abroad that I paddled in was Australia. My very first place that I paddled in abroad was actually around Sydney Harbour. And we, we didn't quite mm-hmm. go as far as the as the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the Opera House. But, you know, I do have photographs of myself paddling with those two iconic locations wow. in the background. Uh, yeah, that's not know. a bad one to start with, is it, that one? That's it, incredible. It, it, I mean, it was brilliant. And I, I think I think the germ of the idea was born then, but certainly at, at that time I'd no concept that I would ever want to go stand-up paddleboarding in every country in the world, but it just gave me the, the germ of an idea that anywhere I happen to go, you know, I, I might try and do some stand-up paddle boarding while I was there, and that led on to to, to paddling in places like Venice uh, and Lake Annecy, just in, in in combination with family holidays, and gradually the idea just evolved, and you know, until even when I first set up my my website and my, my Facebook page, Sup the World, even back at that stage, I didn't really intend Sup the World to be a desire to paddle in every country in the world. But gradually, as the countries ratched up and I'd done five uh, and then 10 and then 15, I suddenly thought, yeah, what a, what a fantastic goal to aim for, to try and paddle in every single country in the world. Well, it's amazing. And you're, you're up to how many now? I'm on 45 so far. And uh, as you quite rightly mentioned at the start, there's 193 countries in the world. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to be finished before Christmas. I've no idea when I'm going to be finished, but, you know, I'm having, I'm pleased at the number I've got under my belt and I'll, I'll have fun trying to, trying to notch up the rest in due course. 
Absolutely. And obviously, as we all know, there are certain restrictions on things at the moment, which has put a bit of a kibosh, I would imagine, at the moment on, on your plans. Let's talk about the countries and the, the paddles that that you've been on so far. So you've, you've covered substantially Europe and you've done some Mediterranean countries as well, and obviously Australia. I know that you did a, a very long trip last summer. I think it was the Midsummer Night's Dream where you must have chalked off quite a few countries. How, how did that one come about? Yeah, that was a, that, that was something I'd had planned for quite some time because I wanted to... I wanted to go to the very top of Norway to, to to a place called Hammerfest, which is the the most northerly mainland city in the world. And what attracted me to that was the the, the idea that that far north, when you're inside the Arctic Circle, it's called the land of the, the midnight sun, and it is genuinely daylight there. The the, the whole you know the the, the whole from one day to the next, it doesn't get dark in the summertime; it just remains daylight. And I had this idea to go stand up paddle boarding at midnight uh, on the longest day of the year in the land of the midnight sun just for a, I just thought it'd be a really funny and interesting and, and cool thing to do. Uh, and then I thought, well, how am I going to to get to Hammerfest? And I had this idea of just setting off on a, a sort of driving and, and camping trip. So I drove, you know, across the across the channel from Dover to Cali, and then I drove up through France, Belgium, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Norway, and, uh, and got up to Hammerfest. And I, I reached there on the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. And yeah, it was an absolutely incredible experience. But I, I don't mind admitting I was quite afraid when I when I went out in that paddle because, you know, although I believed I was wearing the the correct clothing for the weather conditions, you know, the water temperature was mm. only about six degrees. It, it, oh, was, it was midnight. There, there was no one else around. And uh, I, I was very lucky with the weather because the, there was very little wind. The, mm. the, the water was pretty calm and I, I spent about three hours out in the water altogether. But I did feel slightly nervous, but I think that's part of the challenge is to push myself into situations that I might not otherwise have done. You know, and when I, when I contrast what I did on that to, you know, my very first time stand up paddle boarding when I was afraid of getting wet on Southport Marine Lake. And then suddenly five years later, I was afraid of falling into virtually freezing cold water mm. in, inside the Arctic Circle in the summer solstice. It made me realize what a long way I'd come. And I, I don't just mean in terms of paddling skills, but, you know, I've come a long, long way in terms of my own mental attitude to taking on adventures. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a long way from Southport Marina Lake. And just in terms of what you were wearing on that trip, because, I, I mean, we're obviously right in the middle of the summer here, but um, safety is, is, is always sort of fairly close to, um, to our consideration. Um, were, were you wearing a dry suit or a wet suit or what were you in? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think probably the optimal equipment for that type of adventure would be a dry suit. But uh, at the time, and in fact, I still don't own any dry suits, but I was wearing a, I, I think I, I had everything else quite right. I had eight, eight millimetre wet boots on, which kept you know, they keep my feet toasty warm, no matter what the weather conditions are. And uh, I, I was wearing a, a, a 3-2 summer wetsuit, but augmented with a two millimetre 
neoprene vest which I had on un- underneath my, my wetsuit. Mm. It was a bit of a challenge getting the zips up, to say the least. But once <laughs> I had that on, uh, and I then had a a waterproof and windproof jacket on top of that, and then obviously I had a buoyancy aid on mm. top as well. And I, th- I think that the buoyancy aid is the key to paddling in those sort of conditions because obviously if you go into the water and it's that cold you're susceptible to to something called cold water shock which mm. i'm i'm sure you're familiar with simon and I'm... more familiar than than you would know i i was actually a, um a research subject in um the 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 world expert in cold water shock mike ah, tipton okay um experimental thing so i had the honor of floating in uh, I think it was 12 degrees water something like that for up to two hours at a time until my body temperature dropped uh, I mean again that wasn't testing um, cold water shock necessarily it was it, but it was just about body cooling cold and hypothermia water, yeah. and so on so it was it was the best paid but also the worst student job I ever had so, gosh but, yeah <laughs> but uh, I, I know the guy fairly well Mike Tipton um, because I used to play rugby with him back in the day so all of us guys went and were experimental subjects but yeah i mean cold water shock i think you know having the pfd obviously the advice is is that you when you hit the water you obviously have that involuntary gasp if there's a a a big sort of difference between what you're used to and and temperature of the water and the idea is is that you know you want to try and stay above the water if you can and then the pfd obviously helps you to float it out until you get your breath back and you can climb back on the board but yeah pfd is key to that isn't it I, 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 absolutely, you know. So I, I, I felt I'd, I'd taken the reasonable precautions, but you know, I still, I still didn't want to go into water that that, that was that cold. But um, it, it was a beautiful experience, you know. I could see that it was quite sort of overcast overhead, you know. When I looked up, all I could see was clouds, but when I looked north towards the horizon there was just a, a sort of small oval section where, where the, the bright orange sun was just beating through you know and it, amazing it, it was really it felt to me that that's what i'd done that trip for and wow. it, it was incredible and I, I had a great trip back home as well because i traveled down you know back down norway finland and then i crossed over to latvia estonia lithuania wow. yeah p- p- Poland, um, the, the the Czech Republic, although it's known as Czechia now, and then I came back through, back through Germany, back through Luxembourg, up through France, and and came back home, and I, I managed to fit all of that into twenty one days. And I think if I, if I was to do something like that again, I think I'd rather give myself at least an extra seven days just to slow down and. Mm to appreciate some of the the places that I visited and some of the places that I paddled. But it was a bit of a shock to the system coming back home, you know, although it was lovely to get back home and uh, and see my family and my friends again, you know, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a downer, you know, I've heard people that have been on on long expeditions say that that there is a bit of sort of something called post-adventure blues or something in it. I think people, you know, often think maybe you have to go away for six months to experience that. But I felt a little bit down just after 21 days. And it made me wonder, should I <laughs> should I just go and run away and, and just go stand up paddleboarding and never come back? But, uh, of course, that that's not possible for most of us. Yeah, exactly. And, and that post-expedition blues is something quite familiar. I think um, Sean Sykes on, on one of our episodes talked a bit about that. And she has 
as an experienced expedition leader organizes things for the day after just to sort of detox a little bit and just to sort of offset some of that but yeah that's certainly something that's uh, that's been identified so you've been to a huge amount of countries stand up paddleboarding have you got any particular favorites amongst the ones that you've been to or places that you'd you'd love to go back that's probably the question people ask me more than any other question, Simon. And I've been asked that question so often, you'd think I would know the answer by now, but you probably get a different answer <laughs> d- depending on what day of the week that, that, that you ask me the question. But um, although I've been very fortunate to, to to travel to some interesting and unusual countries and, you know, some some beautiful scenic backdrops and, you know, most... Re- the most recent place that I paddled was Wastwater in, in the Lake District, which is one of the most beautiful places I've ever had the privilege to visit. I've I've also become a little bit of a, a sucker for what I call urban sup, and that's paddling in urban environments, so through town centres or, or city centres. And you know, one of my favourite places is, is the Albert Dock in Liverpool, which is a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it... You know, at one time, hundreds of years ago, it was a working dock, and you know, p- perhaps sadly, it was topically some of it was maybe supported by the the, the slave trade at the time. But mm. you know, it's now, you know, it's now an upmarket area. There's upmarket apartments, and uh, you know, I think at one time, Premier League footballers aspired to live there before they became rich enough to live somewhere even more, e- even more wealthy. Uh, but, you know, it's now got sort of shops and art galleries and, you know, and the nice restaurants on it. But it's also a beautiful place just to paddle around. It's, uh, I've been there a couple of times, once with my two youngest daughters, who were amazed at the, the absolute number of jellyfish that you see in the water. So you wouldn't want to fall in there, but it, it's a beautiful place. Um, other urban environments, um, I would recommend anyone, if you get the chance to go and paddle, Round, round Cambridge, what's called the backs of Cambridge. It takes you around the back of all the the, the universities there. I don't know if you know Cambridge at all, Simon. Mm. Yeah. And it's a bit like you, you pass all the, the colleges, like King's College, Cambridge, and certainly your podcast listeners in the UK will probably be familiar with a TV programme called University Challenge, which is a, a very, very difficult quiz show. I don't very often get any of the questions right, but you're just paddling down there and seeing the names of all the colleges, it's, it brought that back. But I think my my favourite urban supplication has got to be Venice. I think it's just such an iconic place to paddle. You know, I think everyone in the world must be aware and have seen photographs of the, the canals of Venice. And, you know, I, I was holidaying with family in the in the area a few years ago and I just couldn't resist. But we actually booked a, a, a trip round Venice. You know, normally I would take my own sup board wherever I went and, you know, just do my own thing. But I think a place like Venice, there's so many rules and regulations mm. and the, the the waterways were very, very busy indeed. So I think ultimately, I, I think everywhere I've paddled in the whole world, I think so far anyway, I think Venice is my top, takes top position. Brilliant. Yeah. And it is very, very busy. So I presume you went sort of around the backwaters, did you? Or did they take you down the Grand Canal? Yeah. You're not allowed to... Basically, the waterways in Venice fall into three categories. There's some of them that you're just not allowed to paddle on at any time. 
with maybe with one exception, I think they have a couple of events mm, yeah. in Venice. I think there's two events. Um, there's what's called the Venice Crossing or something, and there's another one called the Vonga Longa. But apart from those days of the year, you're not allowed to paddle in the Grand Canal at all. Then they have other waterways that you're allowed to paddle in sometimes, but it depends what day of the week it is and what time of the day it is. And then mm. there are other canals that you can paddle on any time. But you know, as an outsider, you don't really you don't really know this, which is why I thought it was wise to to book an excursion with a it was a company called SOP in Venice that we used and mm-hmm. you know, we met them a little bit outside of the, the city centre. You know, you you're absolutely right. You know, the, the centre of Venice can be absolutely jam packed with visitors and, and tourists and you know especially when they were having cruise ships visiting, it was absolutely packed. But you only have to walk for about five minutes away from the city centre and you're mm. in you're in quiet streets, you're in quiet alleyways and you you're in relatively quiet waterways, but you know, there's still a lot of traffic about and we you know, we certainly had to negotiate past, you know, gondolas and, you know, I, I don't think the gondoliers necessarily approve of stand-up paddle boarding because they've had those waterways to themselves for hundreds of years and suddenly suddenly a new sport's arrived of um yeah. you know pe- people standing in a paddle board and perhaps paddling a bit too slowly and, and, and going in their way so yes to answer your question we, we kept well and truly to the to the back ways but you know i do have my eye on that event that, that i mentioned earlier on called the vonga longa which it's an opportunity, something open to all sort of paddle crafts, and it's an opportunity to to get onto the Grand Canal once a year. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, one of the things that that sort of come out already is the the value of of local knowledge, and certainly, you know, in Sydney and in Venice and anywhere, whenever you're paddling anywhere for the first time, there is that challenge of finding out about local conditions, isn't there? I mean, if it's a a sort of flat and smooth lake, then fair dues, but anything with any movement or or any other traffic, it's it's always really important to get the the real skinny on 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 how that operates and i think you know particularly venice that was a you know that was an inspired thing to go with uh, with a local company because they can show you all of the uh, the shortcuts and so on so so john um i don't want to concentrate too much on italy but you've also paddled in one of my most favorite places in the world which is um let's see the, the west coast um and a place called cinque terre and for those people who don't know cinque terre it, it always pops up in lots of these sort of um, iconic adverts for for Guinness and Pacaraban and so on. Um, just tell us a little bit about um, paddling uh, from Levanto through to Cinque Terre because we'll, we'll put some photos on. It is the most spectacular site and uh, the most spectacular trip. And I'm jealous, if I'm frank. <laughs> well, if, you, if you're jealous, hopefully when lockdown's over, Simon, maybe you you, you can go and paddle there. Maybe we can go, go and paddle there sometime. But yeah, for, for for any listeners that don't know Cinque Terre, and I, I'm doing my best to get the pronunciation correct there. If there are any native Italian speakers listening, I apologise for any any mangling I'm about to do of the Italian language. But it's a, a it's another UNESCO World Heritage Site, and uh, 
it's one of the most beautiful and idyllic locations that I've ever been. I first visited there, I think about seven years ago. It was before I'd even heard of stand-up paddle boarding. And I did a, a day trip from Florence where we, we got on a, a bus with a tour operator and, and drove up to, to Cinque Terre, which, which translates as the five lands. It's five sort of small coastal villages, you know, and each one is unique in its own way. And during that tour, we... It was partly a, a bus tour, partly a walking tour, partly a boat tour. Uh, I, we also did a little bit of it by train as well, because there's a train line that runs all mm-hmm. along that coast. And once I got into sort of stand-up paddle boarding and I began to follow my my dream to paddle in every country in the world, I just had this desire to, to paddle Cinque Terre. And I, I did it in a day. It was probably one of the most incredible stand-up paddle boarding days of, of my entire life but the the weather conditions were so changeable throughout the day i got on the the water about eight o'clock in the morning in a small place called levanto which is about five or six kilometers north of, of cinque terra and the conditions were just perfect at that time the, the sun was just creeping up above the mountains behind the beach and you you you'll probably know this this feeling yourself simon but you know i just mm. looked out at the sea and it, it was completely flat with just a few tiny gentle waves you know some small swell and it, to, to me that's just perfect conditions you know i i don't mind paddling in waves but I, i've got a strong preference for flat water paddling i know i know some people look at it the other way and they might think what i do is boring and they'd rather be out on, on your know, six foot waves or something but that's not my idea of fun i'm a, a strong preference for flat water so it was absolutely perfect and i, I paddled around a headland to the to the, the first of the villages, which is Monte Rosso Almari. And uh, I pulled up there and, and got off. And I stopped for a bit longer than I planned, really. But I stopped and I had a, a cappuccino and a, a pan of chocolat for, for my breakfast. And then I, I treated myself to another one. I thought I'd better carb up for the, the, the journey Very ahead. Um, that was just my excuse for being greedy, I think. Well, uh, well, car- carb loading <laughs> is actually a, a sporting term, and I'm a big fan of it. So, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I feel a bit better about myself then. I'll, <laughs> I, I, as, I, as I run through this journey, I'll let you know if it's some more carb upping I did at lunchtime and, and in the afternoon as well. So um, I certainly got the carbs in that day. But, but by the time I got back on the water and I was heading round to Vernazza, the... The wind was really starting to get up and and the swell, you know, and I, I managed to stay on my feet during that leg of the journey, but I was struggling at a few points. And by the time I got to Vernazza, which is the, the, the next village down, it was lunchtime. So I, I popped up onto the square and ordered a, a huge bowl of pasta. Uh, and uh, maybe I shouldn't have done, but I also ordered a large glass of Pinot Grigio. And <laughs> I got everyone, I took my paddle up with me, you know, and I'd left my board on the, the small beach, you know, but everybody could could see that I was dressed differently to all of the other tourists. I was wearing a, a, a long john wetsuit and a rash vest, and I had a paddle with me and a, a couple of dry bags with my valuables in it. So I think I stood out from most of the, the tourists in Cinque Terre. And the, the the waiter came to me and he said, are you kayaking? And I said, no, no, I'm stand-up paddle boarding. And he said, oh, I'm a kayaker. I, I love paddling on this coast. So I said to him, I can see the wind and the swell are starting to get up a little bit. 
I'm hoping it's going to die off when I get back on the water. And the, the waiter, he, he shook his head sadly and said, no, I'm sorry, it's going to get worse. So mm. uh, maybe I should have had another glass of Pinot Grigio at that point. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, he, he was right because uh, I, I got back on the water and... The, the, the next village down is Corniglia, which sits up about 100 metres up or at the top of a cliff on a headland. And uh, I really didn't fancy walking or, or, or climbing up that cliff. So I decided to bypass Corniglia and go straight on to Manarola. But that, that, that may be, again, five or six kilometre section. It was some of the worst water conditions I, I've ever paddled in. I. Mm. Uh, I had to spend, you know, most of that journey uh, I spent on my knees. And I don't even know if this is possible, but the wind seemed to be blowing from one direction, but gusting from a different direction. And I was just being buffeted all over the place. And uh, I managed to paddle on my knees, but at one time I thought I was going to have to sort of get down and uh, and get prone. But then, uh, again, the the weather just changes so fast in that part of the world. I believe Mm -hmm. it's a a well-known phenomenon there that the wind can change and it it went from a, a strong onshore wind, and I, w- I was, you know, battling against that. And then it turned to it turned to offshore wind. So I managed to get right in under the cliffs, and it was obviously when the wind was offshore, I was quite sheltered in there. So I, mm. I made it to Manarola. I uh, got off the water at Manarola. And uh, talking about carving up, I treated myself to a, a gelato with with two scoops of gelato in it, and uh, I just sat. And I've got to be honest, you know, during the hardest part of that, you know, I did consider, you know, should I should I cancel the rest of this trip? Should I get off the water? Am I a strong enough paddler to deal with this? But uh, the conclusion I came to was that I was capable of pushing through it, and. I'm really glad I did because the weather conditions became really benign again as I as Mm. I paddled on and the 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 final town or the final village you'll probably know is called Rio Maggiore and Mm -hmm. by the time I reached there the the water was completely flat again and you know the the sun was just sort of setting behind me and I. I've got very very fond recollections of just standing on my board you know about 50 metres offshore, just sort of gently bobbing up and down. And the, the sun was going down behind me and there were hundreds of tourists just lining the the tops of the cliffs looking out. And somebody was buzzing me with a drone. I was trying to find out who it was, not to, to mm. complain. But if I'd found who it was, I would have just asked them if they could share some of the footage with me. And uh, uh, going from, you know, four hours prior to that, I'd been wondering whether I should cancel the trip and get off the water. By the time sunset came, I wanted to just stay there forever. I don't know if you can relate to that feeling. Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I was totally with you on the water there, John. It uh, hasn't dampened my enthusiasm to get out to Cinque <laughs> Terre at all. Brilliant. Uh, the, 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 that trip could have ended in a... Not a strange way, but uh, I mentioned earlier on, there's a train line that runs all, all the way down that coast. So mm. I I got the train back to Levanto. So what had taken me, I think, about a 10-hour journey to travel 16 kilometres down the coast. Uh, I got back up the coast in 30 minutes on the train. Incredible. And that, that's a really nice train line, isn't it? It's, it's uh, I've travelled that a couple of times as well. Beautiful. So, so just, you know, you talked about train travel and so on. Um, obviously, your various trips have taken various 
forms. What are your sort of, so I presume, you know, you've obviously um, gone with your board in the car, you've flown with your board, you've travelled with it on the train. What are the sort of considerations, particularly around air travel? What's your normal way of operating if you're, say, flying to a location to paddle? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think we're very fortunate that we, we now have the sort of technology in inflatable stand-up paddle boards that that, that makes international travel and especially flying work. And I'm a, I think just for historical reasons, I, I'm a big fan of red paddle. You know, I own, I was going to say I own three red paddle boards. I just bought another one yesterday. I don't know how many stand-up paddle boards one person actually requires, but my... My go-to board for for flying is is the Red Paddle Eleven Sport, which rolls up very very nicely and, and very very tightly around the the two cylinder pump. I can get the the three piece paddle in and you know a, a few other bits of equipment as well. I try and wrap everything up inside you know a neoprene wetsuit or a neoprene vest and get all my dry bags in there and and it all fits nicely into the rucksack although it's pretty heavy by the time you've got everything mm. in there so I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that it's got wheels on the back and you know people often ask me you know what do you do about flying with your soft equipment do you just book it in as hold luggage do you have to book it in as sports equipment and you know do, do airlines mind I mean I've flown I probably can't list them all from memory, but I've flown around Europe, certainly, you know, with most of the airlines, you know, EasyJet, Ryanair, Lufthansa, Croatia Airlines, um, Jet2, British Airways, Mm. um, I've mentioned Lufthansa already, KLM, you know, I've flown with most of the airlines that you'll have heard of. I've I've never had any problems, you know, sometimes people ask what's in it, uh, but, you know, I've always just booked it on as normal hold luggage and I've always been allowed to fly with it. Sometimes, you know, the, the airline will ask you to take it to the oversized check-in desk because it's too big to go down the the little conveyor belts at the normal check-in place. But hmm. I, I, I've never had any major issues with, you know, with, with flying and taking my gear on airplanes. And if anybody's thinking of doing it, I would encourage them just to, 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 to go ahead, you know, just jump on the plane with your board. Uh, there's a lot of equipment with stand-up paddle boarding. You know, it makes it difficult to get around. But, you know, I've, you, you mentioned trains, a, a, airplanes. You know, I've also, I've also been on ferries. I've also tra- travelled around in a few parts of my journey by bus, which is interesting. And wow. uh, I guess my, my favourite would be car because you can put so much more equipment in your car. You can get you, you can get all of your sup equipment. You can put a spare paddle in. You can put your tent in. But yeah. you, you can obviously get so much further with flying as well. In terms of like challenging conditions and hairy conditions on your various adventures, is, it would. Cinque Terre be the one or have you ever come into to other any other situations you had to manage yeah I mean that that's probably the most difficult that was the one time that I felt closest to closest to giving up I don't think I've ever I've had other conditions where it's just been so windy that I haven't been able to paddle into it but I, I, I think that's different because if the wind's so strong that you physically can't paddle into it then you just can't paddle into it. And I've had that a couple of times and it's made me feel, you know, bad that I've been unable to physically paddle into it. But, you know, I think sometimes you just have to accept 
Absolutely. What, what your limitations are. So I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't call those challenging conditions. I would just say they were impossible. But Cinquetero has certainly been the, the the closest I've come to packing it in. Yeah, I mean it's difficult there because you've got. Um, I, I would imagine you've got the complication of the summer breezes, you know, um, coming in, you know, and it's a hot area. Um, you've, you've got the swell, you've got the cliffs, you've got the, the swell maybe bouncing back off the cliffs. You know, you've basically got everything going on. The, 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 there was everything. And you, you've, you've obviously paddled past cliff yourself, Simon, to mm. describe that swell coming back because that's that, that was exactly what it was like, you know, and you want to... You know, depending on the wind direction, you might want to paddle fairly close to the cliffs. But of course, if you get mm. too close, you're you're buffeted in every direction at once. Mm. That's a toughie. The other the country which I've paddled a bit in, and um, I know you have as well, is is France. And uh, I see that you paddled a bit of the Canal du Midi. Uh, that's that's a, a a canal which I I I have massive aspirations to do and. Uh, to end so just tell me a, a little bit about uh, about that trip yeah I'm, I'm so glad that that's one of your aspirations because it's one of mine as well Simon I think that would be a a, a fantastic stretch to paddle you know because it's really really beautiful there I've I only paddled quite a small stretch there I, I was holidaying there with family at, you know with my daughter and my, my son-in-law and uh, I think three grandchildren at the time you know we we only took one board between all of us so it wasn't really practical to paddle particularly far but you know it was an idyllic location to paddle you know if canals are the best place in the world to paddle if the if the weather conditions are right mm. and the canals clean enough and we we just walked about, I think it was about a 30 minute walk from the, the, the campsite that they were at up to the canal and we, we just put on the water and just paddled up and down and it was your know, brilliant sunshine, you know, beautiful, beautiful green trees and bushes on on either side and there was a, a, a tiny small restaurant um, just next to it as well where I popped into to order a glass of white wine. I don't think I had Pinot Grigio back then because no. in, in France, of course, you have to drink the French wine, which is Absolutely. which is fortunately very pleasant as well. But yeah. uh, uh, I, I did try and order my glass of wine in, in, in French, but the, the barman just looked at me as if I, I was speaking some alien language, which I, which I, 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 which I was absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and luckily, there was a there was a couple in there who were cycling, and they, they were cycling that exact same route that, that you outlined as well from the mm. from the Atlantic coast towards the Mediterranean. They were cycling the, the entire length of the Canal du Midi, and l- luckily they spoke. Uh, they spoke perfect English as well as being French, so they were able to to assist me in, in ordering the glass of wine. And uh, I was talking about stand up paddle boarding, and the the couple were translating for the the, the French barman, and he he decided to reward us all for a great company by pouring four shots of some French liqueur. I'm not sure what it was, but it burnt my throat on the <laughs> on the way back down. So uh, I like to think my pathetic and inept attempts to, to speak French paid a little bit of a dividend there because uh, I got a free post-paddle drink. Excellent. Sounds very medicinal, that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I actually love that part of the world. I'd love to... I've had this plan at the back of my head to paddle sections of the, the Dordogne as well at some time, mm. and 
that has been on my agenda for this summer. I haven't booked anything yet. I haven't, I haven't ruled it out, but I don't want mm. to sort of get off to France and then the, the, the COVID quarantine rules change while I'm there and I have a problem, but... You know, that, that that may or may not happen. I've, I've, mm. you, you know, when you've got a little devil in your shoulder saying, do it, do it, do it. Well, I've got that little <laughs> devil on my shoulder right now, Simon. But I've also yeah. got the I've also got the, the, the sensible devil on my other shoulder saying, don't be silly, John. You can do it next year. So yeah, who knows? But it's a challenge. Yeah. Um, mm. Who knows what I'll decide? Watch this yeah. space. Well, there's plenty of rivers in in France. There's obviously the the Loire as well, and the Gironde, and and uh, the that race through Paris um, yeah. on, on the Seine looks amazing. There's just almost too too many places to paddle, aren't there? I, I agree. I think you could spend you, you know your, your whole life paddling in France and never do mm. the same place twice. Exactly. So let's let's just set our sights out a, a little bit further. So so you've been to a massive number of uh, of countries. Uh, we've talked a bit about your your favourites and your your most challenging. If if you were to you know welcome some guests over from say the states or Canada or Australia, where would you recommend that they go in terms of must sees and 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 the best sort of experience of paddling in in Europe? If they were coming to to the northwest of England, where I live, then I would definitely take them up to the Lake District, which is a, a place that I've only sort of very recently fallen in love with, if you like. I'm a bit ashamed to say that some of the lakes in the Lake District are less than two hours' drive away from me, and it wasn't until a few weeks that I actually paddled there for the first time when I, I went up and paddled on Derwent Water with with one of my daughters and I also went to, to Wastwater, which I mentioned mm. earlier on. And it's such a beautiful part of the, the countryside. You know, the some of these lakes are sort of almost unspoiled. You know, it's a busy tourist area, the Lake District, but you can get really a, a, away from the tourist areas just by jumping in your car and driving for 30 minutes. So that I intend to spend certainly the, the rest of this year, 2020, exploring those lakes in the Lake District. There mm. are... There's 16 of them all together, and two of them you're not allowed to paddle on, so I guess that gives me 14 to aim for. Mm. Uh, I've paddled on two of them already. I've got another 12 to go. But, you know, if someone was coming over to to visit me from the States and they wanted to paddle with me, and I'll, I'll extend this invitation now if anyone's listening and you are coming over from the States or, or, or anywhere abroad, you know, feel free to to get in touch with me. If you want to come and paddle with me in the Lake District in the northwest of England, then you'd be very, very welcome to do so. That's definitely where I would take them in England. Obviously, being Scottish, I shouldn't neglect Scotland either. Right. I, I need to do a lot more exploring. Yeah, I mean, a, a little bit embarrassingly, I've done very, very little stand-up paddleboarding in Scotland, which is, of course, my, my homeland. And yeah, I've lived in England for 30 years now, but that's no excuse for not doing some paddling in, in Scotland. And later this year, I'm planning to to do a trip called the Great Glen, which is a, a paddle that runs through 
from Fort William on the west coast of Scotland, uh, and it goes up to Inverness on the east coast. Which I, some people do that as a, as a one day race or a a two day race. That, that that's certainly not my goal. I don't I don't consider myself to be an expert stand up paddleboarder or an elite athlete. I'm just enjoying doing what I'm doing. So I intend to to make that 100 kilometer trip perhaps a four day trip i'm going to to pop my tent on and my sleeping bag on the front of the sup board and you know just take my time and you know hopefully enjoy some nice weather and take in some beautiful scenery amazing and uh, what about your must see or your recommended locations in uh, in europe and the middle east and further afield I think one of the most beautiful places that, that I've paddled in Europe was the, the Algarve in Portugal. There's some beautiful paddles that you can do along uh, along the sea there, you know, on the cliffs. Mm. And, that, you know, there are various caves that you can go into. And, you know, one of my earliest uh, paddle adventures abroad, I was actually in Portugal uh, for, for a holiday. And I booked a, a trip from a place called Armasao de Perro with with someone who ran a company called Algarve Sup at the time. His name was Nick, and I think you might know. I think I might know of him, certainly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so uh, that, that was one of my earliest paddles abroad. And, you know, it, if you like paddling in, you know, beautiful landscapes and beautiful locations, but the weather's very hot and the sun's beating down on you, then I don't think you could go too far wrong with the Algarve in Portugal. So um, in terms of um, your strangest experience, have you had any sort of strange or bizarre experiences in the countries you visited? (laughs) Yeah, I've had quite a a number of strange experiences, Simon. I don't know if I'll have time to, to, to share them all with you, but I think the... The very most bizarre one of all was uh, when I was on the, the, the trip we spoke about earlier on up to Hammerfest at the top of Norway. And uh, I was travelling up through Sweden and Finland. And you just I was well inside the Arctic Circle at this point, And I just sort of put my tent up. I was wild camping somewhere in the middle of the wilderness. And I was at the side of a river called the, the, the Torn River, which runs along the border between Finland uh, and Sweden. And I, yeah, I really was in the middle of nowhere. I'd, I'd taken a look at the river and thought, I wonder if I can paddle on this. But I decided it was too dangerous. There was too much white water, too many rapids. There were, there were tiny shallow parts where I thought my fin would get stuck and you know, that, that I'd be thrown off the board and injure myself. So I, I decided not to do it, but I put my tent up at the side of the river. And I stopped to, to take a, a selfie photograph of myself with the river behind me because, as I'm sure everyone knows, if there's no photograph on Facebook these days, then the thing mm. never happened at all. Yeah. Uh, so I, I took this photograph and I'd, it wasn't cold, but it was starting to get a little bit chilly. So I put the, the, the hood of my hoodie up over my head and then a, a waterproof jacket over my head as well, partly to ward off the cold. And mm. partly to sort of ward off the mosquitoes that were starting to come out. And uh, I had about 10 days worth of beard growth on my face as well. Uh, when I took the photograph, I felt really proud, like a, a real explorer in the middle of nowhere, a sort of stand-up paddleboarding version of Scott of the Antarctic. Yeah. And I, I've still got that photo. It's one of my, my proudest photographs. And just as I, I sort of put my, my selfie stick away, from round the corner in the river, I began to hear a sort of dull 
thud, 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 sound. And I thought, what on earth is that? You know, it was a strange noise. I hoped it wasn't some indigenous people that were coming to, to, to capture me or something. And then just round the bend in the river, you know, the, the river that I think's in the middle of the wilderness and is too dangerous to paddle. Round that river comes a huge pink inflatable flamingo huh. with three people on it. There's a, a man and a woman at each side in the front holding a paddle, propelling oh, it down the river. Uh, and there's another man sitting in the back drinking a can of beer. They've got a sound system on there with some sort of Europop pounding out, which was the the sound I'd heard. So it made me realise, you know, my, my definition of being a brave explorer in the wilderness probably wasn't the the, the same as those three local people. So uh, that, That's fantastic. Those flamingos get everywhere, don't they? They, they certainly do. So if I, if I ever go back to Finland, uh, I might leave my paddleboard at home and just take a flamingo with me. There you go. I mean, the other thing that I've seen quite a lot on social media is uh, people on paddle boards dressed as dinosaurs. That's uh, it's getting definitely a bit more, uh, yeah. more bizarre out there. Yeah, isn't it? I've I've seen that a few times. I haven't tried it yet, but uh, I would never say never. Mm, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Maybe it's it. I mean, there's so many different uh, elements of the sport. You know, there's there's a maybe a dinosaur one. Uh, maybe we could launch that, John. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a plan. Yeah, d- 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 dinosaur of the world, or exactly. or something <laughs> the dinosaur or something. Um, Perfect. Sounds amazing. So, I mean, obviously, as we mentioned um, at the start, things have been somewhat uh, reduced by the the current pandemic. That's uh, hitting the world um, and you, you're obviously using that opportunity to, to paddle a lot more in the UK and and weigh up your potential uh, trips over to France. But when the whole thing's finished and, you know, um, emerged out the other side, what, what are your plans? Where, where would be your, your first destination when you find, when we finally get the green light to, to head out, you know, wherever we do in the world? Yeah, I mean, it's been a very strange year this year, and I, I've had a few plans that they maybe weren't definite plans, but, you know, I have a, a list of things that I might like to do, and they've all basically been cancelled. And I think, although my, my goal to paddle in every country in the world, you know, absolutely remains a goal, I think when we start venturing a little bit further abroad, I think I think I'm likely to want to stay fairly close to home at the moment. Just mm. in case, you know, and I've got that 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 possible paddle in the Dordogne that I mentioned. I've also got my eye on a, a river in Czechia, which uh, Czechia, the, the Czech Republic, which is called the Baronka or Baronka. I'm not too sure how you pronounce it. That looks like a a, a multi-day paddle that you could again do that uh, do the entire length of the river over four days as a a camping trip. So if I if I do get abroad this year, I think it's likely to be Czechia and France. But you know that doesn't stop my my goals to go further afield. I've never visited South America. I'd love to to spend a few weeks in South America paddling some of the countries there. I think it would be an absolutely fantastic adventure. Again, Africa. You know, there's a huge mm. big continent there of Africa, and there's a lot of countries there that I absolutely want to paddle in. And I think some of them will be, you know, safer places to visit than others. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. But at the very top of my hit list, Simon, somewhere I would absolutely love to go and paddle 
and I'm determined that I will one day is North Korea. Yes, wow. And and there have been people paddleboarding. I remember reading an article about someone who went and paddled there. So they're they're no strangers to that. But yeah, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think it's possible to go anywhere and, and and paddle and yeah, North Korea. I think it's it's the one place people mention when I say I'm going to paddle in every country. They mention North Korea. So that sounds like a, a pretty good reason to go for for, for me. I am that kind of person, you know, if you set me a challenge or if you tell me I can't do something, then to me, that's a damn good reason to go and do it. I mean, we haven't even touched on a, a lot of the amazing places you've paddled, you know, um, particularly around Eastern Europe. So uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll have you back for another another session. Yeah, I'd, I'd be absolutely honoured to come back, Simon. I've got so many, so many fascinating places that I've visited and, you, you know, so many great stories to tell. Well, they're great stories for me because I was there anyway. Hopefully the, the listeners will enjoy <laughs> hearing some of them. Oh, it'd be massively entertained, John. Thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate you uh, you sharing your time and sharing your experiences with us. Whereabouts can we find you online? Yeah, before I answer that, Simon, just th- th- thank you for inviting me on. It's been an absolute honour to be here and I'm absolutely honoured that you know anyone's invested their time in listening to this episode. Um, I would also love it if people would like to sort of follow my adventures in the future and the the, the place I'm most active is, is somewhere called Facebook. I'm sure everyone's heard of Facebook and I'm on Facebook as SUP the World so that's just S-U-P-T-H-E-W-O-R L-D, so facebook.com forward slash SUP the World. I'm also on Instagram, and my Instagram handle is SUP underscore the underscore world. And I, I do have a blog. I'm a little bit embarrassed to point people in the direction of my blog because I, I haven't kept it up to date. I think the most recent blog entry is from a couple of years ago, but I do have a I do have a goal to put that right over the rest of this coming year and catch up on some missing blog posts. So if anyone wants to also make their way to www.suptheworld.com, you'll be able to check up on me on whether I have actually brought my blog up to date or not. Brilliant. Thanks again for your time, John. And uh, I will see you, it sounds like, on the Canal de Midi once uh, all of this is blown over. That sounds absolutely fantastic, Simon. I'd love to see you there. Brilliant. Take care, John. Thank you. Bye-bye.